Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So the topic given is truth and reality. So what is reality? To many people this may seem like a stupid question. Reality is everything all around us. Reality for most people in this room means living in Sarajevo and doing what we do. We work, we get some money, we eat, we drink, we go here and there. Real life means all the problems of life, how to get enough money, all Uh these things. And when people talk of reality beyond this, many people scoff. There's a word in English, otherworldly, which is used for people who are kind of dreamy and not connected with reality as we perceive it all around us. However, we find that many people are not content simply to go on with their lives, working, getting money, eating, sleeping, passing stool, and eventually joining their old friends in the cemetery. Many people think that, is there not more to life than this? And actually the fact that people do inquire in such a way suggests that there is reality beyond the present existence that we perceive. If the total reality of our existence is getting born, living for some time, and then dying, then life is meaningless. And there are many philosophers who conclude that actually life is meaningless. Or they conclude that, well, the only meaning to life is what happens between the cradle and the grave, and therefore we should enjoy it to the max while we can. But the very fact that even people who conclude like that, the very fact that they are considering what is the meaning of life suggests that there is more meaning to life than eating, sleeping, passing stool, and all these wonderful things that we do between the cradle and the grave. Okay, okay, we don't only pass stool. We also watch TV and sometimes we go to cinema and disco and other things like that also. So what is life all about? Some people may say, like I say, some people may say it's meaningless, but the very fact that they thought about it and came to the conclusion that it's meaningless suggests that there should be some meaning. And actually, if life is simply about getting born and dying and that's all, then indeed, uh, we are, our life is totally meaningless. Because we are tiny, if this existence that we are presently in, we are tiny, tiny, tiny little beings in a flash in eternity. Space-time worm, as Professor Einstein said. <laughs> when we're walking on the street, uh, sometimes there are some ants, and we just we just walk, and we don't care. We just walk, and so many ants get killed. Of course, Buddha devotees don't do that, but most Buddha people. Do. We don't consider that. Well, the ant doesn't like that. We don't even think. It's just an ant. Why, you know, why should you bother even thinking about it? We don't have anyone campaigning for ants' rights. We have gay rights, women's rights. And we don't have ants' rights. Just an ant. Well, for an ant, for, for each ant, he's the most important 
creature in the whole universe. But we consider it's just an end. It's so insignificant. Well, what is our significance more than the end? If we consider our, in, in our existence in terms of space and time, then we're really not that much more significant than an end. But then why do we have all these strong feelings? So many, uh, so many feelings were evoked in the war that was going on here a few years ago. We feel so sorry when someone we know or a close relative is killed. Or someone feels so much hatred for people he doesn't know just because they belong to a different racial group that he comes in the village and kicks down the doors and shoots everyone dead. I know these are very sensitive topics to discuss here, but we're discussing reality. These uh, feelings that are evoked, is it just some illusion or does it have some meaning? Are we really, there is no significance to this whatsoever? Therefore, philosophers since time immemorial have sought out what is the meaning of life? Is what, is, what is reality? What is truth? If we see the reality of this world, it appears very harsh. There is, uh, everyone is struggling to be happy, but there is so much suffering in this world. And even if we uh, get a relatively happy position within this material world, Everything is terminated very soon by death. Yet we, uh, in, we, we feel, instinctively feel that there should be uh, a happy situation where everyone is peaceful and kind and happy and good. Where people don't cheat you, they don't shoot you. But we don't find such a place in this world. Yet still our heart hankers for such a situation. Now, if life is completely meaningless, then where have these feelings come from? How can we conclude that there is no meaning in life when we see so much order in the universe? All science, history, geography, it's possible to study because there is order in nature, there is order in human society. There is order in thought. There's so much order and then we conclude that ultimately everything is chaotic and meaningless and disordered. It doesn't make any sense. What is behind all this? There must be more to life than this. If we conclude that this life is all in all, that we simply live and then we die, and then we'll, we'll certainly conclude it's meaningless. But we could also hope that there is life beyond this struggle. That the order within the universe suggests that there is a higher order and a higher meaning. That the, that the peace and goodness and kindness that in our heart of hearts we hanker for actually has existence. So all religions point to that higher reality that we are actually eternal beings. These emotions, these desires, these aspirations uh, that we have are not uh, possible. It's not possible that they would exist in uh, simply chemical combinations. We cannot expect a table to have emotions. I fell in love. 
with the kitchen table. Is it possible? Not possible. My pet table. It's a ridiculous proposition. Emotions simply do not exist in objects without life. And although we sometimes uh, try to or think that we can gain happiness by surrounding ourselves with different objects, this cannot actually bring us happiness. Anyone with even slightly enlightened intelligence can understand that simply surrounding ourselves with, with material objects cannot make us happy. Even if someone has a house built out of marble with gold doorknobs and ivory and silk clothes and diamonds and jewels, he can't be in the slightest bit happiness if he doesn't have any friends or anyone to love. Whereas even someone who... They may be struggling even to get enough food, but if they struggle with someone who shares that struggle with them, that sharing brings more happiness than millions of jewels. Right? Is it? It's an obvious thing. So, uh, the reality that we're searching out, the meaning that we're searching out, the truth we're searching out, is not connected with simply objects. It's connected with life. We can share loving exchanges with other living beings. But in this material world, these uh, meaningful exchanges that we have become nullified by separation. Death spoils everything. So why death? All these questions have to be considered. Why death? Why not live eternally? Well, why not? We have information from scripture that there is eternal life. That actual life is only, real life is eternal. There is no other life. These lives that we live, they're not our actual lives. Just like Someone may be living in Sarajevo and they're, they're living in a house and they have a name and they have a car and they have a wife and they have a dog and all these different things. But none of these things last very long. They seem very real, but it's just in a flash of time. I just read yesterday there was some Russian man who was supposed to be 163 years old. And he was celebrating his wife's 90th birthday. She, he married her when she was young and he was an old man. Yes. And now he's much older. So we may not believe 163 years old. Very long life. But that's also just a flash in eternity. Everything comes, everything goes. So all that we consider real, it's real, but it's not really very real. Because it's just a, it's just a flash. Just like intoxication. Under intoxication one feels some euphoria, but it doesn't last. So it's not a, it's not a real or natural state. A real, natural, intrinsic state should last forever. And our uh, inner hankering is for full happiness, full love, full truth, full peace, but in this harsh material world, none of these things can be found. There is uh, what we perceive of reality as reality 
is crushed by time. So um, this hankering that we have is for eternal peace, eternal truth, eternal kindness, eternal love. If we uh, become introspective, we can understand that we can never be satisfied with the uh, with any situation here in this material world. That however much we try to make adjustments to make a happy situation, that basically we spend all our lives struggling and then at the end, vanquished. Which again may make us feel hopeless. But the fact that we have such hankering for ideal life suggests that there is the possibility of attaining it. And that is the purpose of all the great religious teachers, just to give us information of reality beyond that which we presently perceive. That everything in this world is temporary and full of suffering. But our real existence is not in this world at all. We don't belong here. We don't belong in a world where there is simply uh, struggling and death. We belong in eternal existence, where there is uh, eternal love, eternal happiness. Not the happiness that is derived from uh, petty sense gratification. All over the world, wherever you go. I didn't go to Tibet, but probably there also. They're advertising Coca-Cola. And in all the reclama, in all the advertisements, all over the world, they show people looking very happy drinking Coca-Cola. But no one ever becomes happy by drinking Coca-Cola. If they actually became happy, they wouldn't have to advertise it. But they have to go on advertising it just to give people some hope that they can be happy by drinking Coca-Cola. Isn't it pathetic (laughs) that people think, they're they're thinking, I can be happy by drinking Coca-Cola. How empty we must be inside to think that I shall be happy by drinking Coca-Cola. How empty we must be to think that by by this advertisement is suggesting I will be happy by smoking this cigarette, so I should smoke it. How uh, empty and lacking in substance we have to be to respond to any of these advertisements. All these advertisements are playing on people's desire to be happy and promising that by buying our product, you shall be happy. Whether it's Coca-Cola or car tires or toothpaste, whatever it is, they suggest, you buy this, you will be happy. And again and again, we go for this bait. We are hoping against hope that we can be happy. Did anyone ever become happy by buying a car tire or toothpaste? Well, maybe the manufacturer of the car tie, he became, he became a little more happy by getting more of your money. But that's also not real happiness. Just see how shallow we've become, that we are a society of people who run after objects which are advertised. So actually human life is meant for a higher ideal. Look inside. What, what is our real need? Tamasima Jyotir Gamaya, come out of the darkness, come to the light. This hankering for petty material happiness, this is the darkness of ignorance. But to find that 
meaning, that truth, that reality, that is eternal, unlimited, bliss, that is the actual goal of human life. That unexploitive happiness. In this material world, happiness is attained, or this material happiness is attained at the expense of others, or by exploiting others. Therefore, we can never actually feel happy in this material world. Real happiness means by giving, not by taking. Therefore, we find people who are trying to give to others, they are more happy than those who are simply trying to exploit others. The happiness of a mother who is uh, dedicated to looking after her children is more than that of a playgirl who is simply trying to enjoy others. But even the attempt to help others in this material world, that also is uh, incomplete. Because however much we try to help others, we can't really help them that much. We can only help the body, but the body will die. So how much can we help others? So if we are to uh, solve this riddle, where is happiness, where is meaning, where is truth, where is reality? We have to come to a different paradigm altogether. That is called the leap of faith. Leap of faith, you don't have that in your language? No, I don't know that. It's a common... It's a common term in religious philosophy. Leap of faith. That means that one jumps. One's not sure what's on the other side, but one jumps. Never mind. With, with faith that there's something good there. Of course, faith should not be blind. But we can have faith that there is more to life than simply struggling and dying. That there is eternal existence beyond the manifestation of these bodies in this material world. How can we have faith? Well, um, one thing is that this appeals to persons of pious and philosophical disposition. Give them some prasadam before they leave. And moreover, there are persons who come to this world who convince us of the existence of the spiritual world. Has anyone here ever been to China? You went to China. Which part? Did you go to Taiwan? Okay. Anyone here been to Taiwan? You all believe that Taiwan exists, right? I'm supposed to be going there in September. <laughs> I got my ticket booked to go there. Maybe the airline company is bluffing me. There's no such place. I'll go to the airport and they'll say, We cheated you. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, we believe that there's a place called Taiwan, right? You never went there. You never saw it. But we, we, we believe it. Why do we believe Well, there seems to be good evidence that it exists. I mean, everyone seems to believe it. And there you can get photos and videos and there are maps which shows it's there. So we have faith because other people who have been there, they tell us about it. Now, um, in the 
starting from the 1600s or so, 17th century, no, even before that, maybe even from the 16th century, from Europe, explorers started to venture out and discover other lands. They call it discovering, although there were people living there already, but they, from the European point of view, they didn't, they, they're not real people or something, so. We didn't know about it, so it didn't exist. Something, some strange kind of thinking. So some gallant Englishmen jumped off in their ships and went to Africa and charged around the jungle for some time and came back to merry old England and told the people, we saw giraffes. They're like, something like a giant horse with very long legs and a very long neck that can eat the eat the leaves at the top of the huge tree. And we saw the rhinoceros, like a giant pig. <laughs> rhino, rhino. Like a giant pig with a big horn. And even if it has such a thick skin that if you shoot it, the bullet bounces off. And all the enlightened Englishmen thought, Africa is a very dangerous place. If you go there, you become crazy. And you imagine all these funny animals. There's no such animals. Now, in England, we have seen chickens and pigs and dogs and horses. So how could there be any animal like a giraffe or a rhino? They couldn't believe it. But eventually they came to believe it when enough people came and said, we saw a giraffe, we saw a rhino, and here, here's a photo. <coughs> so in this way, we can gain faith, even without direct experience, based on the experience of others. Now, that reality is more than what is available to our present range of uh, sensual experience is taught by the great religious teachers. For instance, the, uh, here in Bosnia, the uh, two main religions are Christianity and Islam in which uh, Jesus Christ and Hazrat Muhammad peace be upon him are considered or they are the uh, prominent teachers in this tradition so of course uh, Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian tradition is not considered just a teacher he is identified with God himself uh, but they have taught and millions have believed of reality beyond the present existence that we perceive. So why have people believed? Because um, they, have, they have claimed a direct experience of God, which anyone can say. But by their... Uh, Behavior, their extraordinary teachings and their conviction and ability to live by their teachings, people have been convinced. And because their teachings, uh, if applied in one's life, help one to become a better person, to begin to experience God, therefore millions have followed them. In other words, the religious experience suggests that religion is real. 
None of the great religious teachers of this world teach eat, drink, be merry and enjoy. They teach prepare yourself for what is to come. There is the spiritual world. We should prepare ourselves to enter into that. We should not live uh, simply like animals. The animals eat, sleep, fight, fear, mate. But the human life is meant for understanding God and our relationship with Him. So in our Krishna consciousness movement, we are also teaching what is reality beyond this spot life, this temporary flickering life. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to sing, dance and be happy. But not this getting drunk and singing, dancing and being happy. That's not happiness. But that singing, dancing and being happy means in the company of pure souls. And specifically in the service of the Supreme Soul. Who is God? What is our relationship with Him? From the Vedic literatures which if we impartially examine give by far the greatest insights into the nature of God we can find that God is singing and dancing. The famous philosopher and madman Nietzsche said I would believe in God if he danced. He doesn't know. God does dance. But not this disco dance or drunken dance or techno rock dance. That is uh, the dance exchange of love with his eternally pure devotees. We are meant for that. With this drug they can dance for two days. They call that ecstasy. But when the drug is over then depression. But real life is meant for actual ec ecstasy which never ends. We can all... Love can actually be love if it is without fear. We are told to fear God. If we are sinful, then we'll be punished. So that may be, but that's not a very loving relationship. Loving relationship can be developed when naturally we don't want to do anything wrong we only want to act in a manner that is pleasing to him so the Vedic literatures teach us of reality eternal existence in the spiritual world there is no birth or death or struggling or suffering no going to the office or factory because there is no office or factory but living with Krishna who is the supreme personality of Godhead who is all powerful all opulent all-knowing, all-everything, but most importantly, all-loving. Now, generally, when we think of God's love, we think that God's love would be manifested, if God really loves me, He would give me more money, for instance. If God loves me, He should arrange for me to be happy in this world. But, paradoxically, or not paradoxically, um, He may ar arrange for us to struggle more in this world. Many people think, I have so many problems, let me go to God, He will solve them. My mother couldn't solve them, my father couldn't solve them, my wife couldn't solve them, my girlfriend couldn't solve them, the lawyer couldn't solve them, the doctor couldn't solve them, the astrologer and Vastu expert couldn't solve them. Okay, now the only thing left is God. But, 
the real uh, manifestation of God's kindness upon his devotee may be that he gives us more difficulties and then when we when we realize there's there's no hope for me to be happy in this material world then we fully give ourselves to him then we become qualified to enter the spiritual world as long as we have any desire to enjoy myself then that is the root that is the root of sin one has to become completely selfless so the vedic teachings begin by teaching us that we are not this body at all that the body is temporary but we have no real connection with it our real connection is the spiritual connection with the supreme personality of godhead we identify with this body and that is the cause of our suffering in this material world yeah, and that causes us to take body after body after body and suffer and struggle within material existence but we just need a little change of consciousness to understand that i have no actual connection with this material world it's not real my real connection is with krishna the supreme personality of godhead in the spiritual world so from our present situation this may all seem just like some philosophical discussion but actually it is real and it can be experienced krishna consciousness or bhakti yoga gives us the guidelines by which we can begin to experience the presence of krishna in our lives even now the members of the krishna conscious movement are well known for chanting hari krishna in the streets of the big cities of the world so why do they do that again and again singing the same song hari krishna hari krishna 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 hari 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 ram hari ram 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 hari hari they do the, the devotees chant because by hearing this chanting people's dormant consciousness of krishna can be awakened krishna consciousness is not sectarian it is not simply sectarian I got that? No, no, I didn't say a sect, I said sectarian. Okay. So um uh everyone is Krishna conscious. It is not simply a few people's belief, but it is the intrinsic nature of the soul to love Krishna. So actually Krishna consciousness it's it's not a religion in the ordinary sense of the world word. It's not Indian although it might appear to be so and there are these different aspects like vegetarianism but it's not really vegetarianism either but krishna consciousness is the intrinsic relationship of the soul with the supreme soul krishna so i actually everyone is krishna conscious and by hearing the sound of the name of krishna people's dormant krishna consciousness becomes awakened at present we are absorbed in our temporal affairs we think this is real but if we feel some attraction towards the chanting of the hari krishna mantra then we can begin to awaken our actual real existence we are not meant for suffering in this material world we are meant for eternal blissful life 
with Krishna in the spiritual world. And chanting Hare Krishna is the uh, method for entering that dimension. In science fiction movies, they, so I'm told, I haven't been to one for more than 30 years, but we're told they sometimes show this, uh, like there's another dimension of reality, of existence. And actually this is according to modern quantum speculation, not even modern, it's going on for like more than 80 years now. Quantum physics speculation that there could be universes existing side by side right here but that we're totally unaware of because it's a different dimension. There could be uh, like an intergalactic war going on in this room, for instance, among many other things that could possibly be existing. This is science fiction. I'm just giving an example. So, uh, we, but it's, it's a different dimension. It's a different kind of matter altogether. So we, it, 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 we don't have knowledge of it or we have no relationship with it whatsoever. But there may be some kind of interdimensional door that you can just go through and then you enter that different reality. So you're just sitting peacefully in your apartment in Sarajevo and all of a sudden you're in the middle of an intergalactic war. Hey, where's the door? I want to go back. <laughs> well, chanting Hare Krishna is something like that. That there is reality which is existing where everything is eternal and full of bliss and we can enter into that by chanting Hare Krishna. That is the key. That is the mantra. We, this uh, mantra can carry us even within our present existence to the spiritual dimension. So that can be practically experienced. It doesn't require gr- any academic qualification to chant Hare Krishna. It doesn't require anyone to be a Hindu or an Indian to chant Hare Krishna. In fact, thinking like this is a disqualification. If one thinks, I am Indian or I am Bosnian or I am Christian or Muslim or whatever one may say, I am a highly qualified PhD, all these are actually disqualifications to get the effect of chanting Hare Krishna. But if we understand that beyond all these designants which are presently attached to my body, which are temporary, I am eternal spirit soul. I am the eternal servant of Krishna, who is the supreme eternal reality, who is the supreme eternal person, who is the reservoir of unlimited love, and I have my eternal relationship with him in loving service. So with this faith, if we chant Hare Krishna, then we can enter the dimension of the real spiritual world. That it is possible to do so is attested to by the personalities of great persons who have come from that spiritual world with the message. Our own spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, came to the Western world and gave news of the spiritual world. He came to America in the 1960s when America was in the, uh, the 
the most prominent country in the world, as now, and told all the frustrated people there that there is a much better place than America. <laughs> so many people want to go to America from all over the world. You'll find people, especially poorer countries, people they want to go to America. But because they're thinking life is better there. And in some ways it may be than in poorer countries. But there's so much frustration and unhappiness in America also. So Prabhupada came to America and told the people of America that there's a much better place you can go to. People from Bangladesh or Philippines or maybe Bosnia or Romania, they may want to go to America. Where are the Americans going to go to? They have all the facilities that other people want and still they're frustrated. So Prabhupada gave information of a place you can go to even while sitting here. You can travel to the spiritual world on a journey of consciousness. At present our consciousness is full of lust, greed, anger, envy. But by purification of consciousness we can enter the spiritual world. That purification of consciousness begins by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. It's so simple. So simple that we might miss it. You might think I have to stand on my head and do some complex breathing exercises. We may think that to improve my life I have to take the window and take out the window, block it up and put the window on the other side of the room. And that will solve all the problems. Or I need a special pyramid I have to put in my room and that will make everything nice. But the messengers from the spiritual world, they tell us to chant Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Anyone can do that. So why don't you do it? Then we can discover the spiritual world. There's a story of Christopher Columbus. After he so-called discovered America, he was back in the court in Portugal and getting so much adulation. And other people said, oh, what was so great? Anyone could have done that. So in the court, he brought an egg and he asked all these people that just stand it up vertically. He brought what? An egg. Egg. Oh. You don't know what an egg is, but <laughs> chicken's egg. You know those things some people eat? We don't eat them. So I told all the people, stand it up vertically. So they were trying, but however much you try to stand a chicken's egg up, it'll just fall over. So he said, okay, I'll show you how to do it. So he just took the egg and cracked it a little bit at the bottom and then stood it up. Stood up very nicely. And he said, well, anyone could have done that. He said, now you're saying, but before I showed you, you didn't know. So uh, anyone can do, but we, uh, we might just miss it or not appreciate unless someone shows us it may be it may be so easy that we may think that well it has no real significance but actually if we chant Hare Krishna we will find our lives change if we are actually chanting Hare Krishna with a desire to understand Krishna and serve Krishna then by chanting Hare Krishna we will get Krishna's full blessings. Our life should change. We should not remain full of material desires. We should aspire for that world where there is no birth and death. We should aspire for 
that existence in which there is not struggling or suffering, but simply loving service of Krishna. It requires faith, but it is not blind faith. If we think that this world that we are living in presently is all in all, then it is meaningless. But by chanting Hare Krishna, we can begin to discover the actual meaning of existence, the existence of dedication, the existence of loving service, which satisfies the soul. The soul cannot be satisfied even by truckloads of Coca-Cola or or room loads of rubber tires or anything in the material world that we consider might be satisfying to us because Krishna consciousness satisfies the soul as far as the body is concerned it can never be satisfied anyway so after all this talk the conclusion is reality means that we are eternal spiritual living beings We are not meant for suffering in this material world. Our real existence is eternal in relationship with Krishna who is the Supreme Eternal. And we can factually revive and experience that relationship by the process of Bhakti Yoga which begins with chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. So we can do that. We were doing, we shall do. But... uh, if there are any questions in the meantime, if anyone wants to ask, they can ask. Is that a question, Hari? <laughs> He's just putting up his hands ready for dancing. Don't leave without prasadam. Don't leave without dancing. We have to dance now. Is Call it? her back. It's time for the ecstasy. <laughs> Not the drug ecstasy, real ecstasy. You have a question? Yeah, please ask. Uh, he asks, he said that our faith shouldn't be blind, but how cannot be blind because I'm blind? <laughs> then you become unblind by hearing. Blind means lack of knowledge. So we should gain knowledge by hearing. Therefore we're saying chanting, but actually chanting is to be accompanied by hearing. As Srila Prabhupada said, you are blind because you have cataracts. The ability, the ability, cataract means the ability to see is there, but it has become covered over. So our ability to understand Krishna is there, but it is covered over by material desires and misconceptions. The Srila Prabhupada said, you come to me, I will operate. I will remove the cataract by giving spiritual knowledge. It cuts away all misconceptions. Therefore, we're not just giving some, uh, blind or sentimental process but knowledge spiritual knowledge should be given authorized knowledge is received from the scriptures therefore we're giving Bhagavad Gita Srimad Bhagavatam these are not simply the speculations of some deluded persons this is uh, actual spiritual knowledge revealed from the platform of transcendence reliable guidebooks used by the most enlightened people for thousands of years. Vedyam Vastavamatra Vastu. This is the actual essence of all spiritual knowledge. Shivadam. It gives all auspiciousness. auspiciousness. And Tapatrayon Mulanam. It uproots all the miseries of material existence from the very root. So take those books. Any other questions? Please. 
She's coming from the field of medicine, mm. and uh, she thinks that uh, that our philosophy of Hare Krishna philosophy is too much negating uh, physical aspect of us, like body and so on. Like what? Uh, physical aspect. The body. Of body and and uh, she says that um, she's recent, from recently she's uh, chanting Hare Krishna Maha Mantra mm. on Japa, and uh, she, uh, she's also practicing Reiki. And mm. she sees with practicing that that she is experiencing some other type of energy, but with chanting Hare Krishna, she feels a lot of happiness and joyfulness. And uh, uh, and she says that we should also uh, consider our bodies as well. And she sees that you are uh, physically um, a little slim, and yeah. she is fat, a little fat, and uh, that. She's not so uh, so much paying attention to her body. She's not in command enough. She's not in command enough to take care of her body. Mm. Body is being to be in command, being slain, being able to move, mm. in command of. Well, someone has a slim body, someone has a fat body, and someone has one in between. But whatever the body is, eventually it becomes a dead body. <laughs> So, uh, in Krishna Conscious we maintain the body, understanding it to be a vehicle in which we are presently placed. Just like a car, you have to put in petrol or whatever, it needs servicing from time to time. But it's not the be-all and end-all of our existence, although for some people it might be, especially if they have a fancy car. But that's their foolishness. So, uh, while we're in this temporary body, we have to feed it, clothe it, bathe it, brush its teeth, etc. But we should understand very clearly that I am not this body, that I am spirit soul, and the real need is for the soul, not for the body. This body will cease to exist, the soul will continue to exist. So it's a matter of philosophical understanding. Even Reiki, so that's another system, but uh, that doesn't bring us to the highest reality. Hare Krishna.